praise the Lord for another conference uh, for the churches in Southern Africa. Of course, now these days uh, over Zoom uh, on the internet, uh, you don't know where everybody comes from. Uh, it becomes uh, uh, international everywhere. And praise the Lord that we are, doesn't matter from where, which country, well, which part of the world, uh, we are under the, win- the one ministry, under the one vision to build up the one body. Yeah, we want to welcome all the, all the saints uh, from everywhere joining us uh, this weekend. Uh, the general topic uh, for this weekend conference is uh, shown. I'm not sure it's on your outline, uh, but I believe on the website you can see that. That the, is on the humanity of Jesus for the fulfillment of God's eternal economy. We will have uh, five messages uh, beginning tonight and then Saturday and then the Lord's Day. Uh, I hope that, uh, uh, that you can all be with us for these uh, five messages. I believe uh, the Lord, uh, there is much on the Lord's heart. He wants to reveal to us, to speak to us. So we need to pray the Lord will um, uh, grant us all a spirit of wisdom and revelation that he may take the veils away, that we can see deeply what is on the Lord's heart, especially concerning this matter of the humanity of Jesus. And uh, from, from my realization, uh, many Christians, they may pay attention to the divinity of Christ, uh, how uh, divine he is, and uh, all the miraculous works that he did. But not much attention is paid to the humanity of Jesus. This is a great, great missing. Well, in this conference, we want to see, actually, humanity is a central matter in God's eternal plan, and particularly the humanity of Jesus. As as shown in the title, as implied in the title of this uh, conference, uh, this humanity of Jesus is for the fulfillment of God's eternal economy. God's economy is the central subject of the whole Bible. This economy of God depicts God's desire to have an expression in this universe. God himself is invisible. He is abstract. Yet there is a desire within God to be expressed, not directly by himself, but indirectly through some creatures, and particularly through man. Man is the focal point. Man is the main item among all the creatures. And God desires to have his expression uh, carried out, express in man. So when, as recorded in Genesis 1, when God came, came to create many things, that after the first five days, bringing many things into being, that the, the setting was made, that he could on the sixth day create man. And as you can read from that passage in Genesis 1, God created man in a very special, particular way. He made man in his own image and according to his own likeness. God desires to have this expression through man, that man may become his 
reproduction. Man may become his representation and expression. Of course, we know soon after man was created, he was seduced by Satan and became fallen. Yet God had never forsaken his plan for man. So he loved man. His intention is altogether uh, related to man. So 4,000 years later, he himself came to become a man. He didn't come to the earth to, uh, uh, to be some kind of other creature, to be an angel, to be some kind of superhero. Uh, no, he came to be an ordinary common man, just like all of us. He passed through 33 and a half years of human life. And then at the end of that, he went to the cross to be crucified. And while he was there on the cross, in Ephesians chapter 2, we are told that he created one new man. So even though his own humanity was about to be terminated, finished there at at the cross, he was producing, he was creating another man called the new man, one new man, which refers to the church comprised of all the believers. All the believers together in totality as the church is the one new man. And that one new man will be consummated to be the new Jerusalem at the end of the Bible. In the last two chapters of Revelation, we see that there is a holy city, New Jerusalem, descending from heaven. The angel said to told the apostle John, this is the bride. This is the bride of the lamb. That is not a city of brick and mortar. That is a living personal city who is the bride of the lamb, the counterpart of Christ. That new man Christ created on the cross, according to Ephesians 2, now is, has grown and matured to become the bride in Revela- at the end of Revelation, who is that holy city, New Jerusalem. And is there finally, God is fully expressed in his glory. In this universe, God is expressed not by the angels, not merely in the heavenly host, but is through an humanity who has been gained by him, who has been, uh, uh, into whom he worked himself, he imparted himself. So this is a tremendous matter we are about to see this weekend. So I hope I encourage all the saints that we would uh, uh, listen to these words, all the speaking um, uh, this weekend with a prayerful spirit, that the spirit can speak much more than what man can convey. Then the first message uh, this evening we are covering is, the title is, The Incarnation of Christ, Fulfilling God's purpose in his creation of man. I said, I mentioned that uh, uh, because of this heart's desire of God in his eternal plan, he wants to gain man for for his expression to be the means for him to be expressed and represented. So he created man with a definite purpose. But yet because man failed, that 4,000 years later, God himself came to become a man. That was the process of incarnation. God's incarnation is a tremendous matter in this universe. 2,000 years ago, 
there was such a fact that happened there in Judea. A child was born. A son was given to us. He was not just an ordinary child. There was the very God, the mighty God. There was the eternal father born to mankind. Christians' understanding of this matter of incarnation is very superficial. Connecting to this incarnation to merely the birth of a savior who is coming to save man from sin, which is not wrong, but that is only something on the surface. And they recount the story of the manger. A babe was born in the manger of an inn, and there were angels singing in chorus, and there were the there was the worship by the magi from the east. They know about all these stories. They they try to celebrate so-called the birth of Christ, yet without realizing the deep significance, the intrinsic significance of this tremendous matter of the incarnation of Christ. So we want to see this. If we, if we want to see the humanity of Jesus, first we want to see how Christ came to be a man in, through his incarnation. Now we can come to this outline. The first point says, in order to know Christ, the God-man, as the man's savior, we need to know the intrinsic significance of Christ's incarnation. I really pray the Lord will help us to get through all the layers of religious veils that have been covering us, all the festivities, all the um, uh, uh, celebrations, all those uh, external things, superficial things, become just a hindrance for God's children to see this deep, this uh, the deep significance of Christ's incarnation. If we want to know Christ, who he is, we must know this matter of his incarnation. Even in theology, Bible students want to study the person of, of Christ. There is a subject called Christology, the study of the person of Christ, who he is. Who is he? Is he God? Is he man? Is he a prophet? But this morning or this evening, we are not talking about Christology. We are talking about a wonderful person who was God becoming a man and through the process of incarnation, producing a wonderful person who is both God and man. He was the first God-man. He says, in his incarnation, Christ brought the infinite God into the finite man. The first matter of Christ's incarnation is concerning uh, this fact of the infinite God coming to become a finite man. You know, Micah, the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrah, so little to be among thousands of Judah, <clears throat> from you there will come forth to me he who is to be ruler in Israel. And his goings forth are from ancient times, from the days of eternity. This, ref this is a prophecy concerning the coming Christ. He is the one who will come forth, who will come forth from the ancient times and from the days of eternity. He was the very God existed in eternity past without beginning, without end. He is eternal. He is infinite. 
Yet one day he stepped into time. In this verse, we are we are told that there is his goings forth. He went forth out of eternity into time, and he traveled through time. And his goings forth was from eternity, was from ancient times, from the days of eternity. What is incarnation? The incarnation is this infinite God coming to become a finite man. This is unfathomable. We know even in these days of pandemic, many of us are locked down at home. Oh, we want to be free, but yet we cannot. We're not free to go out. We are not free to 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 uh, uh, contact many people, to do many things. We feel so restrained. We feel so uncomfortable because of the limitation. Can you imagine this God who is infinite in himself? Even the whole heaven cannot contain him. But because of the, in order for him to become a man, he came to become a finite man. Limited by time, limited by space. This is too wonderful. So he was that infinite God from eternity. He came to be a little child, right, who was born in a manger. Then B says, in his incarnation, Christ was the complete God manifested in the flesh. Not just the Son of God, Jesus Christ, became flesh, but the entire God. This incarnation is not just about the second of the Godhead who became a man. It, it, it is about the entire God who is triune consisting of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In in Bethlehem that day, when the child was born in the manger, that was not just merely the Son of God becoming a little babe, a child, the entire God. God became a man. The complete God was manifested in the flesh. Little one says he was manifested in the flesh, not only as the Son, but also as the complete God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The birth of Christ is not so simple. It involves the entire God. The Father was there. The Son was there. The Spirit was there. Of course, these are not three separate persons. This is These three are just one God. But the entire God was involved in this incarnation. And number two says, the entire God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit participated in the incarnation of Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 20, we are told that very, uh, that Mary, when the angel Gabriel came to visit Mary and announced to her the news that she will bear a child. And what was born in her, in Mary, in the womb of Mary, was of the Holy Spirit, it says. The Holy Spirit was the conceiver of that, of that seed in her womb. So that child, Jesus, was conceived in a human womb of the Holy Spirit. So God was there was uh uh and then in John chapter 8 verse 29 Jesus told the uh, told the people that he was not alone the one who sent him was with him god was in him so who is this one he was conceived of the holy spirit and when he was walking on the earth he said he was not alone as the son of god God was there with him all the time, continuously. This one, actually, his incarnation involves the entire Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are involved in the producing of this first God-man in his incarnation. Then C, the third point says, the incarnation of Christ was the union 
mingling and incorporation of the triune God with the tripartite man. Not only the infinite God becoming a finite man, not only the entire God become flesh, but also there is a union. There is also even a mingling. There is an incorporation of the triune God with the tripartite man. Before the incarnation of Christ, God was God, man was man. God was high up in the heavens on his throne. Man was down here on the earth with all the pitiful situation. And when man has certain needs, he would bow and pray to God, ask God for help, ask God for some things. God was far away, far apart from from man. But on the day of incarnation, now for the first time in human history, God and man came together. There is a union that took place in this child Jesus with that child lying in the manger. That was not just an ordinary man-child. That was a God-child. As Isaiah 9-6 tells us, unto us a child was born, a son is given. His name is called the Mighty God and the Eternal Father. No wonder the Magi from the East came with the gifts. They bowed to worship this little babe in the manger. They gave him the gifts. These gifts, they were worshiping this one, this little babe. He was actually the very God. Now, for the first time in human history, God and man are being brought together through union, through mingling, and even through incorporation. Well, what is union? If I put two pieces of wood, nail them together, glue them together, you may say these two pieces of wood are united. Now they are joined together. And if I, when I put some uh, lemon juice into a glass of water, well, that is more than just a union. The lemon juice now is mingled with the water to become this lemon water, right? There is a mingling that goes on. Not only a coming together of two entities, like a union of two entities, but even a mingling in nature. And when God, when God was born in a human womb, that was not merely God and man just stick together. But now, something even in nature, God's divine nature, penetrated into man's human nature, and vice versa, to produce a mingling. With a mingling, you cannot, you cannot separate, it's not easily separate. The two pieces of wood that nail together, glue together, you can break it apart. But mingling is not so, so simple. To, after the, the, the lemon juice is, is squeezed into a glass of water, it's not easy to separate the juice and the water again because they are just mingled together. But there's yet another process, which, which, is, which the ministry calls it incorporation. What is incorporation? Incorporation refers, is, a, is a, uh, not, not, not a business term. Uh, many times we, we talk... Uh, in business world, people talk about incorporate a business. That we are using that term to actually refer to a spiritual fact, which is that, as Jesus told people, that uh, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Within the triune Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, there is this divine reality, which is that the three of the divine Godhead, they co-inhere within one another. The Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Father. The Son is in the Spirit. The Spirit is in the Son. Those three are not only coexisting, but they also co-inhere. And this is a theological word, but this is a fact. 
This is not something that can be is easily illustrated or understood from our uh, with our natural mind because it does not exist in our human, um, uh, you know, in our, our, our human uh, uh, world, in our culture. But in the divine realm, in the spiritual realm, there is such a thing called incorporation or coherence, where one person dwells within another. So this incarnation involves these three processes of the union, mingling, and incorporation of God and man. Number one says, union concerns oneness in life. Mingling is related to the divine and human natures, and incorporation denotes persons co-inhering in each other. Two, through his incarnation, Christ brought God into man and made God one with man. Dear brothers and sisters, do you know, right at this moment, you can say, thank you, Lord, you are one with me. And you can say, thank you, Lord, I am one with you. God is not only close to you. God is not only sitting in the heavens, listening to your prayer, answering your prayers. God is right now in you, being one with you. Isn't this tremendous? The very God who is infinite, who is unlimited, who is exhaustly, exhaustively rich, now he lives in you and me. And he is even becoming one with you and me. Number three says, the incarnation of Christ was the mingling of divinity and humanity. So when Christ was born, for the first time in human history, there was a person who has both the divine nature and the human nature. Saints, when you and I were born of our parents, we were just human being through and through. We are, that's, that's all we got. It's just a human nature. But one day when we received the Lord Jesus, and we became a child of God. God's life, God's nature came into us. Now, in addition to the human nature we have, we were born with from our parents. Now, the divine nature also has come in. Just as Jesus was, he was divine and human. Now, every child of God, every believer also has both the human nature and the hum- divine nature. The incarnation of Christ brought these two natures together. And number four, as the God-man, the man-savior, was conceived of the Holy Spirit with the divine essence and was born of a human virgin with a human essence. I'm so glad that uh, Jesus did not just appear out of heaven as a superhero, put on his cape and say, here I am to be the savior of the world. It's not like that. Instead, he was conceived in a human virgin's womb, in a virgin's womb, and stayed there, not for nine minutes, not for nine hours, but for nine months. What was conceived within, this, within the virgin's womb was originated, conceived of the Holy Spirit, implying that the Holy Spirit was the conceiver, was the source of that conception. But the carrier, the carrier of that that, uh, conception was a human womb. And he stayed there for nine months. So as the source Surely he was divine because he was of the Holy Spirit. But in those nine months, he was as a little uh, 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 babe in Mary's womb. He, he drew the supply from Mary. He absorbed, right? He, just like a babe, like a mother today, bearing a child, right? For those nine months, that child from a little fetus, and then grow, uh, you know, into uh, uh, month after month, and then grow bigger and bigger, and uh, 
you know, to become six pounds, seven pounds, eight pounds. And, uh, you know, all through that nine months, the child was absorbing from the mother all the nutrients. This Jesus, as a God child, stayed within the mother's womb, the virgin's womb, for nine months. He was divine to start with. He was conceived the conception of the Holy Spirit. But yet, he stayed in the human womb for nine months, also saturated with the human element. He was born. He, he was not born to be an angel. He was born as a human being like you and I, like everyone else. But within him, there was something divine. Eight little Asa, as the conception of the Holy Spirit in a human virgin, accomplished with both the divine and human essences, constituted a mingling of the divine nature with the human nature, producing the God-man, the one who is both the complete God and a perfect man, possessing the divine nature and the human nature distinctly without a third nature being produced. In other words, this mingling that took place of the two natures, the divine nature and the human natures, did not produce a third thing, a strange nature. No. These two essences, although they are mingled together, but they are still distinguishable. Just like in Yumingo, I I mentioned about the lemon juice put into the glass of water. It's not, you cannot easily separate those two elements, the, the lemon, lemon juice and the water, yet they are distinguishable. They do not become something else, a third thing in, uh, in uh, um, uh, Christian history. There was this kind of heresy against this, this teaching of mingling because they said they be, it produces something strange, something, something, uh, something neither God nor man. No, that is wrong. God mingling with men did not produce a strange third thing. God mingling with men produced a God-man with two with the distinguishable nature, God's nature and man's nature, distinguishable, yet they are not only joined together, not only and mingled together, even incorporated together. Little B says, this is the most wonderful and excellent person of Christ in his incarnation. We have to say hallelujah for the incarnation of Christ. This is the most wonderful person. Christian Bible students today is still spending much time trying to understand the the person of Christ, who he is. But here, by the Lord's mercy, the enlightening of his word, we see that Jesus Christ is nothing else but a wonderful God-man. He is not a phantom. He is not some kind of uh, superhero. He is a God-man. God and man coming together to be one. Just like Isaiah 9-6, I mentioned, the child, the son born in a manger is the very God, is the eternal father. Okay, number five says, Christ in his incarnation was the incorporation of the triune God with the tripartite man. You know, in uh, uh, John chapter 14, uh, verses 10 to 11, the Lord Jesus told the disciples, do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak from myself, but the Father who abides in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if not, believe because of the works themselves. In our human culture, there is not such a thing, so that is, that's why it's not easy to understand. We understand easily that I am I'm close to you, right? There are some of you there. You know, in the same house, sitting there, we are, you are next to each other. You can understand 
you're each other's presence. But what Jesus was telling the disciples was just was not just the Father was was uh, standing by him. He told the people that that uh, he was in the Father, and the Father was in him. Another person was in him. He was in another person. So this is although we cannot understand by our natural culture, but in the heavenly realm there is this fact. So we also have to say amen to God, what God's word tells us. So today we can say, we are in God. God is in me. I am in, I am in Christ. Christ is in me. Right? We may not be able to explain it easily, but we surely enjoy this fact. Today at this conference, everyone, we can declare, I am in Christ. And Christ is in me. You are not in Africa. I am not in America. I am in God. This is where we are, right? Truly, this is where we are. So this is the matter of incorporation, one person within another person. Little A says, God in his divine trinity is an incorporation. The three of the divine trinity are incorporated into one incorporation by co-inhering mutually and by working together as one. We just read those verses in chapter 14. Then B says, in his incarnation, the second of the divine trinity brought this incorporation into humanity. So in John 1.14, which tells us that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Who is the word? If you go back to John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So for the Word to become flesh, it means God became flesh. The entire God, that eternal Word, which was God himself, he became flesh. Of course, the actual incarnation was carried out in Christ, in God the Son. But his, 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 his incarnation involves the entire God, the complete God. The word became flesh. God became flesh. So when Christ came in his incarnation, who was, he was, he was in incorporation because the triune God we saw is in incorporation. The father is in the son. The son is in the spirit. The spirit is in the son. Those three co-inhere within each other. So when Christ came, he also brought this incorporation into humanity. So now, you know, in verse, uh, um, uh, in verse, uh, 20, in verse 20 of, of John chapter 14, the Lord says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, this divine incorporation, which involves the Father, the Son, and Spirit, indwelling within each other, through the incarnation of Christ, that incorporation has brought to humanity. So now today, even as human beings, we can say, because of, the, of Christ's incarnation, Humanity, we human beings, we can be brought into God. God has been brought into us. Now we are just like Jesus, the Son, was incorporated with the Father. We believers, we are also incorporated with God. This is a tremendous matter. The number six says, as the union, mingling, and incorporation of the triune God with the tripartite man, the Lord Jesus is the triune God-man. He is not just a savior of mankind. He was the triune God-man. He was the first God-man. And today, you and me, you and I, we are also following, we as, a, as ones regenerated by him, reproduced by him, we are also the many God-men. He was the first triune God-man. Now we are the many God-men. Now we come to Roman numeral two. 
the incarnation of Christ, the man's savior, fulfilled God's purpose in his creation of man. This incarnation of Christ was wonderful, marvelous. We just saw those those points, what it implies. But it, it is actually a fulfillment of God's purpose in his creation of man in Genesis 1. We know in Genesis 1 and 2, the rec, the, from the record of God's creation, God created many things in the first five days. But that creation was actually focused on the last day, on the sixth day, when God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. If you read in Genesis 1, in every day when God created the heavens and the earth, uh, the, 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 the plants on the earth, and then also uh, the, the fowl in the air, the fish on the sea, the cattle on the earth, on the ground, He just says, let it be, let it be, let it be, let it happen. But it's on the sixth day, in a very deliberate way, God says, now everything has been brought forth. The stage is set. Let us do something directly. Let us make man. The triune God says, let us make man. Instead of saying, let man, let there be man. Let there be a, uh, uh, this, like like in the other days. But God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, where Paul unveils to us this eternal purpose of God, he says, to enlighten all that they may see what the economy of the mystery is, which throughout the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. God's creation was not merely just uh, a, a record in history. God's creation has a very definite purpose. That creation has man at the, as the focus. And that creation was to bring forth this creature called man, to through whom... God is going to gain an expression and a representation of himself. That was the whole purpose of God's creation of man in Genesis. But as we said, that because that man was seduced by Satan and became fallen, that 4,000 years later, God himself became, God himself came to be incarnated, to be the second man who fulfilled the original purpose that God has when he first created man. So that's why in in Ephesians 3.9, we are shown that this marvelous economy of God, hidden in the mystery, is related to this God who created all things. His creation is for this. He says, it is a great thing to see that the incarnation of Christ is closely related to the purpose of God in creating man. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 tells us, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power, for you have created all things, and because of your will they were and were created. Why were, why was, why were we created? Why was man created? Man was created for God's will. This verse clearly tells us, for your will we were and were created. The creation is not just, it's not just uh, uh, something that uh, comes out of a big bang. No, creation is, a, is for the accomplishment of God's will. It's for God's will. And this creation, although became spoiled by Satan, but yet God, by his incarnation in, through Christ, he fulfilled 
that original purpose of his creating man. He finally gained a man that was actually himself in incarnation, who was called the second man. He lived out, he expressed God and represented God to the uttermost, fulfilling God's purpose in creating man. B, God's purpose in his creation of man, in his image and according to his likeness, was that man would receive and contain him as life and express him in his attributes. When when God came to create man, he did it in a very special, particular way. He didn't just bring man into existence. We are told very definitely, man was made in God's image and with God's likeness. And man was given God's authority, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and the cattle, the creeping things. Man was a very special creature in God's creation. It was not just another item among so many things God created. Man was super. Man was special. Man was uh, the top. Because man has God's image for God's expression. Man has God's dominion for God's representation. C says, man was created in God's image and according to God's likeness in order to be God's duplication for God's expression. We know there in uh, Genesis 1, when God, in Genesis 1 and 2, when God was getting ready to make man, he formed man out of the clay of the ground. In fact, you know, this, this word, Adam, Adam, the name of the first man, in Hebrew, it means red clay. It seems that there in, <clears throat> the, in Eden, God was playing with some red clay. He decided, just like we have little children, like to play, you know, with Play-Doh, right? Using Play-Doh to form little dolls, little animals. Well, God was there in the garden playing with these, the red clay. And he now he formed the red clay into the shape of a human being. And then he breathed into this clay man his breath of life into his nostrils. And as soon as Jehovah's breath of life breathed into this clay man's nostril, the Bible says he became a living soul. He was animated. Jehovah's breath entered into this clay man to become his human spirit, the receiver, an organ enabling man to receive God, because that was out of Jehovah's breath, something compatible with God's nature. So this clay man was he looks exactly like God. He has God's image and God's likeness. So, strictly speaking, that clay man was not, was not called man. He was actually God in clay form. Man was just God in clay form with the breath of Jehovah within, within him as his spirit enabling him to receive God at a later time. So this, uh, uh, there God was so happy seeing that he has, he himself, who is invisible and abstract. Now he has a, he used clay to form this man who looks exactly like God. He was so happy that God, now he, he gained a reproduction of himself. 
this is too great a matter. Why is, what is the purpose of God's creation of man? God wants to be expressed. And how is he going to be expressed? He got a duplication. He got a reproduction of himself. So number one says, in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, image refers to the inward being and likeness to the outward expression. In 2 Corinthians 4.4 and also Colossians 1.15, we are told that Christ was the image of the invisible God. God is invisible, yet he has an image. What does that mean? The image refers to not not his outward form or shape or likeness, but image refers to his inward being. (coughs) Excuse me to what God is. Christ was the expression, <coughs> was the image of God. <coughs> he expressed God's inner being. <coughs> and the likeness <coughs> to the outward expression. And number two says, the image of God is related to his Duplication. I created man in his own image with the intention that man was would become his duplication. Have you ever thought that there in the Garden of Eden God was God was running a printing press? He was that image. And now he is making a reproduction of himself. You know, in the uh, uh, older days, you know, the print shop, they're still running. First, first the printer has to make an image, has to burn an image of the the, uh, paper, the the document they want to print. And then he used that as a as the prototype, uh, as the master copy, and then he will run that master copy uh, using the through the printer to make uh, reproduction copies. <clears throat> that was what God was doing in the garden. Man was God's duplication. God was that image, and that image was Christ, right? And it's according to the in the image of Christ. Man was made to become God's reproduction. Image is for reproduction, for duplication. That's why Romans 8.29, we are told that uh, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn, among many brothers. Jesus Christ was not only the only begotten son of of God. After his death and resurrection, he became the firstborn son of God. He was the image, and we are his reproduction. And we are his many brothers, his twin brothers. He and we are exactly the same. So, he would be the firstborn among many brothers. <clears throat> In Hebrews uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 10, we are told that it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in leading many sons into glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So we are God's many sons, and and the firstborn son, who is the author of our salvation, he is bringing us into glory. What is to be? What is to? Glo- what is glory? Glory is God expressed. He is bringing us into the expression of God. <clears throat> now, number three, image implies that man has the capacity to take God in and contain Him. God created man in His image to be his container. Dear brothers and sisters, 
you and I, we are God's containers. We are earthen vessels. Yes. In ourselves, we are worthless. We are, we are just a, a, a base and mean. Yet, within us, earthen vessels, we contain, we contain a priceless treasure. Second Corinthians four seven tells us that we have a treasure in earthen vessel. Christ came into us. <clears throat> we have we have the capacity to not only re- receive Him but contain Him because we were made in the image of God. So we are able to contain God. You know, in 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 uh, uh, in business. In the market, in the business world, you know, to they, 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 when they make a container of a certain object they are selling, they have to have a a a a, a container that is in the in the shape of that product <clears throat> that they are making to contain it. We are God's bottles. We are God's containers to contain God. God created man with a spirit out of his breath. So we have the capacity to receive and to contain God. We are God's containers. Isn't this great? Is it a great matter? A dog cannot contain God. They don't have the capacity. A horse cannot, does not have the capacity. But man does. Number four says, likeness refers to the outward form, outward fashion, outward appearance. Hence, likeness is a matter of expression. Little a, man was made in God's image to be a duplicate of God and according to God's likeness to have the appearance of God for his expression. And b, the image is the inward reality of the outward expression and the likeness is the expression or the outward appearance of the image. Just remember, image refers to what we are. The image of God refers to what God is. God is love. God is light. God is holiness. God is righteousness. These, all these attributes of God constitute the image of God. This, this invisible God has an image. Although man cannot see him, he has his attributes. He is love. He is light. He is righteousness. He is holiness. <clears throat> Yet these attributes are when Christ came as the incarnated God, in those 33 and a half years, he lived out the attributes of God as his human virtues. When Christ was on the earth for the first time, man began to see God's love, to touch God's love, God's holiness, God's righteousness were being expressed in the human life of Jesus. So this Christ was the image of this invisible God. And man also has the likeness. The likeness is the expression without. So number five says, the image of God is related to the divine attributes, especially love, light, righteousness, and holiness. For God to create man in his image means that he created man with the capacity to have his love, light, righteousness, and holiness. That's why we can boldly say with every created man, there is a desire and even a capacity to love, to to be good, to be holy. Of course, due to the fall, due to sin, man commits sins. But inwardly, by the inner nature, man desires to love, man desires righteousness, man desires light. Because man has man is God's duplication, man has God's image. It's just like a a, a glove and a hand. The glove is made in the image of the hand, right? Although the glove by itself is just the shape of the of the fingers. Until one day the hand put inside the glove that makes that glove meaningful. Every human being is a glove. Man, God, God is the real hand. That glove needs 
the real hand to get inside to make that glove full and meaningful. Otherwise, we have the shape of the fingers. We have the capacity to love to be to for righteousness, for holiness, for light, but yet we don't have the reality. So we come short all the times until the day when we receive Christ into us. He becomes the hand. He is the real hand filling the glove. He is the reality of love. He's the reality of righteousness. He's the reality of light. He's the reality of holiness coming into us. B says the human virtues created by God are the capacity to contain God's attributes. <clears throat> Number six, in order for God's purpose to be carried out, it is necessary for man to receive God and contain him as the tree of life. So brothers and sisters, don't forget, you and I are vessels of God. Without God, even though we have the capacity, we are empty. We need to come to receive God. That's why after God created man, he brought man to the garden, to the tree of life, expecting man to take something into him. That tree of life was a symbol of God himself as life in the form of food to be taken in by man. So man needs to, not only has God's image and likeness without, but man also has the capacity to receive God's life into him as his content. D, since the first man, Adam, failed God in his purpose, God himself came in the Son through incarnation to be the second man in order to fulfill his purpose that man would contain him and express him. This is the meaning of the incarnation of Christ. He came to be that second man fulfilling God's purpose. E, the gospel of Luke is a revelation of the God-man who lived a human life filled with the divine life as his content, thereby expressing God in humanity. If you read the gospel of Luke, you can see that now that in human history, there was such a man. <clears throat> Apparently, he was just a Nazar Nazarene. He was one, a carpenter's son. But yet he exhibited, he manifested something so excellent. When he healed the, the dying, the, the dead boy of a widow, when he forgave the the sin, a sinful woman caught in fornication, when he, he was that good Samaritan pouring oil and wine on, a, on a, uh, uh, a person stricken by the robber. In all these instances, we see the expression of the attributes of God, God's love, God's kindness being expressed in human being as his human virtues. This is the first God-man. So we say, number one says, the divine nature with its attributes was expressed in the man's Savior's human nature with his human virtues. Thus, the living of the Lord Jesus was humanly divine and divinely human. The living of Jesus on the earth was beyond man's word, beyond man's explanation. We, people, when Jesus read the scriptures of Isaiah in the synagogue concerning the Jubilee, after he read the scriptures, he said, and he put down the scroll, and he said, today, this word is being fulfilled in your midst. And all the people there were at awe and were just amazed. Who was this man? Where did he go to school? The way he spoke is not is unlike the scribes, the Pharisees. Words of grace flowed out of this man. Well, he was not merely a man. He was God. Even when he was reading the scriptures, God flowed out of him. So the last point, number two, we need to know the Lord 
as the one who lived a life in which the human virtues express the divine attributes. Dear brothers and sisters, I hope the Lord um, uh, has uh, spoken to us concerning the intrinsic meaning of the incarnation of Christ and how this incarnation of Christ is related to uh, God's purpose in his creation of man. So we are all, we are all made in God's image, with God's likeness, to become his duplication, his reproduction for his expression and representation. Okay, I stop here. I finish my message. I turn it back to the host for him to direct what to do next. 